Welcome to the Wake the F Up podcast with Alex and Jamie, where we talk about living consciously and helping people uncover their essential self so they can stop sleepwalking through life. On this podcast, we're having raw conversations about difficult topics. Our goal is to create a safe space where our guests can talk about real problems and issues and how they decided to wake the F up and become mindfulness experts through their own emotional healing journey. Our guest today is Ashley Rossi, real estate agent, yoga teacher, and student. Ashley's a retired scuba instructor, forever yoga practitioner, a single mom recently divorced to her one-year-old daughter, her expertise in helping people find homes and spaces they can heal and grow in through real estate. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So I think we should just start off and why don't you just tell us like a little bit about yourself and where you are in your life and a little bit about your background. Okay. Where to begin? I am a real estate agent down here on the Gulf Coast. I'm a mom. I have two Huskies. I just rescued one literally yesterday. Crazy. I've had another one for the last year and a half. So I have a house full of babies now, which is wild. And yeah, I teach yoga some days on the side here in the community. So it's a full-on life, full-on schedule, and I'm navigating how to do it. Well, it sounds familiar to us. We are obviously moms. I can, I have three pets, five children, so I can totally relate. <laughs> the juggle and struggle is real. <laughs> Every day. So Jamie actually has been your student since she moved to the Gulf. I have been searching for a yoga instructor like you. Like this is like you can just tell you live and breathe it. And one of the things that I've been struggling with in yoga is I get it. When I'm on the mat, I'm there. I am a yogi and not on the mat. But then whenever I go out into life, it's so hard to carry all of those practices and all of the, because I do feel strongly with the literature that goes with yoga, but it's so hard to live it. But when I met you, I was like, oh, wow, like you are just I mean, every part of you just screamed yoga, you know? Um, And then when I read you were 30, I was like, how the hell did you do this? Like, you must have been doing this since you were a teenager. I got into yoga like a lot of my friends did. They grew up in the States is, you know, in college, they offered free classes. And I went with a group of girlfriends and all these chicks were doing headstands over in the corner. And I was like, wow, that's so fucking cool. I want to do that too. (laughs) And then... I got into it and it wasn't until I moved to Thailand that I really dove into an authentic yoga practice. You know, there's westernized yoga here in the States and then there's yoga when you go into Southeast Asia, Asia, India, and it's, it's lived and breathed over there. And, you know, I'm humble. Thank you, Jamie, for your compliments, but I do not live and breathe yoga as I wish I did on a daily basis. But I do try to come back to the tools that I've learned over the years as often as possible. And it's hard. It's just a lot of practice every single day. And that's, and I think a big part of it too is honoring the philosophies, honoring the lens, honoring that there are steps along the way and you're never, ever done with the work. I remember I watched a movie one time and in it, this guy was doing all these crazy poses and he goes up to his girlfriend after he was like, I did it. I completed yoga. I'm finished. And I was like, whoa, you can do that. <laughs> it's almost like whenever I'm reading, you know, like I, right now I'm in the yamas and the niyamas and I have like 30 days to learn and I'm going to butcher this, the Bhagavad Gita. But so I read these things, you know, and then even in yoga training, I'm like, oh, I love this. This is what I need to take with me. I think we learned like the seven steps or something to how to do yoga or something like that. And I was like, okay, I literally need to like write this out on like a a whiteboard and have this like hang in the house (laughs) so that every time we have an issue, I can like refer to my map of like, this is how I need to process this situation. It literally is a roadmap. Okay, this is the tool I need to go to today. Sweet. How can I utilize it? And know that you're going to fuck up along the way. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. that is so resonating too. like screwing up along the way, but having the tools is sort of what this company is about. So right, like we are vulnerable women. By no means are we, you know, mental practitioners, but we are walking steps to try to get some tools out there to say, hey, we've all been through a lot of stuff. So 
quick question from me, A, maybe tell the guests that are listening a little bit about either the yamas and the niyamas or the steps and the tools that are your favorite within in yoga that you use on a regular basis. Like, is there anything that you kind of like continue to go back to, to get yourself out of a hard situation? Oh, yeah. Right now, for me, it's sitting a lot with two yamas. And throughout my process of divorce, especially, is ahimsa, nonviolence. And that's so much in my mind, right? Not physical part of it, but gosh, so much in my mind and what I want to project and that I'm an Aries moon. So like that fire comes out in me so easily. And then also coming to satya, truthfulness, and knowing that I, we all tell ourselves little white lies to get away with our bullshit throughout every single day. And the more that I come back to Satya and I call myself out on it, it's like, okay, all right. She done, she done messed up, but she good. Keep going. You know the truth. So yeah, so I come back to the tools talk, often. Can we talk about your divorce a little bit? I think when I was reading your story, I know it's, we're jumping right in. You have a one-year-old daughter. As a widow, I constantly feel like we have so much in common with the the loss. And, and one of the things, and I'm not sure if this is, you know, relatable to you, divorce is different, but it's kind of same that the world outside of you becomes hyper judgmental when you become, when you have to make choices. So as a widow to make choices, to keep living and to date again, I was so stunned with the idea that my first husband had cancer and died, like not my choice. I was a faithful and loving wife, right? Like, and nonetheless, like the world needed me to stay stuck in this widow role. Right. And then in divorce, I watched my friends, like my very dearest friend just got divorced and people really like put you in a box and, and decide like whose fault it is. And there's no talk about like making personal choice. So I guess my question would be is maybe tell us like, what was the wake up moment in your marriage that you were like, I got to choose a different path, a different, you know, direction. And I know how hard that must've been with a, you know, with a young child. Yeah. And let me start by saying that my ex-husband is a wonderful human being. He is a fantastic father. And I am forever grateful that he is my daughter's dad. Like He's always going to be there. He's always going to love her. And I know that he knows that he has things he needs to work on. And he will whenever he's ready. And that's only going to benefit his life and Naya's life and my life, you know, it kind of came down to, you know, there was no big event. There was no abuse, lying, cheating. It was just not being seen, heard, or met, chosen for many years in different ways throughout our relationship and the judgment around it from others, because there was no big event was not as much as I had anticipated, honestly. It was still there, and a lot of it came from me, honestly, in my own head. And then, of course, my ex, whenever he's projecting his grief and he knows my triggers and knows how to make me feel and think. And so it, you know, it wasn't as big as I had anticipated, but the moments that it is big and coming from, especially with his family and around Naya, gosh, like, yeah, she is going to have a different upbringing than what we had anticipated but she's gonna have two parents that love her and that are always gonna be working on themselves and for her so she's gonna be so powerful it's so powerful actually so I didn't get the choice for my kids to become and and your daughter of course is not gonna be fatherless but I, I I'm married to a person now who also lost his wife and this is kind of heavy but their marriage was under the wraps. Like, so in the surface, it looked amazingly perfect, right? Like she was this incredible doctor, a loving friend, and she had lots of gifts, but their marriage behind closed doors was really not not seen, not heard. Like they didn't see each other. They didn't meet each other where they needed to be met. And neither of them could communicate what they needed. Because I think what I learned, at least from his story, and I'm wondering if yours, like, does it come from that? Like not being seen, is it a moment where, we don't feel good enough to ask for what we want. And then as we, I think, grow older, you know, we start to be like, it's okay. It's okay to say what I need. I'm not sure. Is that a struggle thing for you to like 
be seen or ask for what you need so that, that someone can actually fully see you. I don't have a problem with that. Asking for what you need. I have a big confidence about myself that I've always known. And immediately when I feel it, when I know that I need it, when I know that it's going to bother me, I say it, I communicate it. And it's not always in the best way right off the bat. That is something that I will forever be working on. But no, it was communication from my end the whole time, unfortunately. And from him, he is, he is a Marine and he served for four years. He did three tours and he was in our generation's largest war in Marja. And he thankfully came out and he is, you know, so, I don't have a word for it, so big for it. And so amazing in so many ways, but he has stuff that he needs to work on, of course, through it. And you can't push that work ever. And he'll have to do that on his own. And that was one big thing that he didn't see how that affected us or himself at all, you know? It's weird. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that phrase. And this is like a Dharma that one of my best friends who's a yogi, she thought it was like the dumbest thing she ever said in a Dharma that was recorded. She said, you don't know what you don't know until you know, you know, and it's so true about healing and and self-work, right? Like you can completely love someone, but healing paths are not linear, right? They're very much a sine wave up and down. And so when you're in love with someone, but they're not ready to go somewhere and you are continuing to do your healing, it, it it's scary, right? Like, I think it's an important thing to talk about that we can't pull someone to where we are. How does that feel for you? I guess that's really the bigger grief Debbie had is when you love someone, but they don't aren't ready or aren't willing to do the work to kind of get to where you need them to be in order for you guys to be on the same wavelength. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'll always give him credit because he held space for me throughout our relationship for me to heal in the ways that I needed that no one else had up until that point. So that's, I'll forever be grateful for that. And I tried to figure out how to hold space for him to heal. But like you said before, communication is hard. It's really hard. And you can't change anyone. They have to want to change for themselves. And again, choose themselves while also choosing you. And that's a really hard thing too. Because you have to continue that along the way in a partnership, right? You can't just block Mm -hmm. off and just be in yourself. And I think because I saw that he wasn't meeting me, especially in the last year, I definitely myself cut off and said, well, I'm doing me then and building a business and having a baby and raising a child and providing for the whole family. You know, it's, I did it all and I realized I didn't have to do it all, nor did I want to do it all. So I'm happier to say I can step back and do my thing. And if I'm going to let someone in my energy they're going to meet me or they're just not going to be there. So do you feel like you're kind of, I think one of the questions we talked about was your life purpose. Do you feel like this, this event in your life is bringing you closer to identifying your purpose or bringing you closer to actually fulfilling your purpose? I've done a lot of soul searching around my life's purpose. That's why I wanted to talk about it a little bit and it's never ending. But one thing that I've realized for myself, especially just through family stuff too, you know, everyone has their own family bullshit. I have my own particular family bullshit. And through it, what I've seen and resonated with is that people just don't know how to heal or even know how to try to go on their own adventure to heal in their own way. Right. And that's something that I did. I went and started my healing adventure and I'm continuously building my tools. And so I want to share that with as many people as possible because gosh, as a collective, we are struggling a bit. Like Mm that is not, you know, living abroad and living in different cultures and with different topographies all over the world and seeing how the planet's been affected and how the different cultures have been affected individually and collectively. It's like, fuck yeah, we just got to heal y'all. We got to work on our shit and keep going. Like stop making excuses, just fucking do it. 
Well, I think a lot of people are really comfortable with being dead asleep because it keeps them what they assume is safe. But I'm, in, it's yeah. interesting as we're in our forties, like you keep hearing about divorce everywhere. And I think it's this, these coping strategies that we create to protect ourselves or to stonewall in and keep safe. Right. We end up like, just, I don't know if it's like a hormone shift and then we just explode because we're like, we can't do this anymore. But I will say on a glimmer moment, like a bright spot, I've been traveling so much lately for work. And I've been in airports after airports flying kind of all over the United States. And I am listening and hearing other people's phone conversations all around me. And they're all about, it was so great. I called Jamie. I was like, oh my God, the world is kind of waking up. Like we're on something here. Like it's not just she and I or the yogis anymore. Like these were just like random people talking about, like I heard a, a guy telling his mom how he she never was there for him in his childhood and was how I heard this other like lunch in New Orleans where this guy was talking about his trauma and how his mom was protecting his sister's codependent bullshit. And I was like, oh my God, like everyone is kind of, you know, like at least boundarying and speaking their truth, which is like step one. I don't, I wanted to ask you like, what was your step one in your self-care healing journey? Like what was step one for you where you're like, I no longer will like, so with family stuff, it's like, is it a boundary? Was it working on codependency? Like, what did you first like open up that you were like, this is where I went on the path? It was boundaries, 100% boundaries. It was realizing that I could put them up and not be so harsh about it, but be focused in them. Yes. Can I get an amen? You don't have to be mad with a boundary. That's hard though. That cost me about 10 grand and it just takes up all of your energy. And then you're just exhausted again. And you gave them your power. And it's like, I can use this power in other places and it actually affect people in a good way. Well, and like saying no, interestingly enough, I would get all this like shame and guilt behind it of like letting the person down that needed me. And the reality was like, I needed to learn to love myself enough to say that I was valuable enough to set the boundary and be able to take care of myself. Like I, when you're always in a caregiving role and you're hit in your familial place, like it's ingrained in, in me, at least. And I'm not sure if this is universal to other people feeling the same thing with boundaries, but it's like, well, I'm only lovable if I'm in service to someone else. And so I've had to redefine what real love is. And I'm wondering in your divorce, like has your self journey taken you down this path where you've had to redefine what love means to you on the inside and and what it looks like externally, AKA communication with your partner? Well, I'm sure with that to being a new mom, I think at least for myself, being a new mom, love has been completely redefined. (laughs) So yeah, that's interesting to become a new mom and also um, go through a divorce. So I'm sure you've had a lot of awakenings. Yeah. Because it comes back to that conversation within yourself of, Yes, I'm being selfish, but at the same time, is that all negative? Like when people talk about being selfish, I feel like there's such a big negative feeling around it. It doesn't have to be because you can't pour into other people's cups until you have something in yours, right? And so this was a big thing between my ex and I, especially when it came around our daughter and just, I can show her such a better way If I stepped back, I can show her how to love herself in the ways that took me 20 years to start to figure out and start to break these generational patterns that my family, that's all they could see in the tunnel vision, you know, and that's all I knew. And so I know a lot of my confidence comes from my family's stubbornness and drive, but it's, I don't know, it's just you take the good and the bad and you put it towards something amazing. And then you choose, okay, I don't have to go on this path. Let's figure out a new way. And she is going to grow from that so much more than I ever thought possible. Yeah. I feel like like, it's so short, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like having a child makes you redefine love like on a whole new level. Cause you want, it's almost like you're trying to make their definition of love. Like you want them to know love is this. Does that make sense? Or is that just me? No, it totally makes sense. Every time she plays outside, I see her literally connecting in her own nature in a way that we've lost. We're not separate from nature. We're not any different from it. We're all in this together, right? And so when I see her connecting in that way and knowing that in herself and being able to step into one of my favorite words in Sanskrit is Lila. 
and it translates to play, but it's sacred play. It's authentic play. It's you are not separate from anything. Be in it. Nature play. And so I see that shine around her. And it's like, girl, you're good. You're good. One step closer. I know. It's such an interesting thing about that childlike play where they just, the world hasn't quite told them who they're supposed to be all the way. And they play on just, it's like uninhibited play. And I wonder like, I, Jamie and I've been talking about this. Like when was, when was the moment in your life, I guess, Ashley, I'll ask you that you lost that ability to be completely immersed in something and, and not embarrassed by what others outside of you would think. It's so crazy when you think about how long we've been living like that. I think I have glimmers of it, you know, like I'll go throughout like a trip or have a glimmer of being back in that place. And Sloan helps tremendously, very much like you're saying with your daughter playing outside. He is outside literally from when he wakes up. He first word is outside, outside. He wants to, he says beach, pool, like he is in the water every single day of his life. He's in the water. (laughs) He's naked, outside sunlight, water. And that's something like, you know, when we were talking about the childlike play, it's also that childlike belief, I think as well. But it's when we were that age where anything's possible, you know, like we never were embarrassed to tell somebody we wanted to be a doctor. And then it's like, at what age did we get to the point where, because for me, I remember saying like, you know, I wanted to be a vet or I wanted to be a speech therapist. And then going into school and realizing, oh, this is a lot of studying. Like, I don't know, is this really realistic? Should I really try to pursue this? You know, and you start to doubt yourself. And then you just wonder what, what age was it? And why did we go from this bundle of joy where everything is possible, everything is beautiful and amazing to this adult where we're like, just covered in self doubt, really. And so for like, when I think of Sloan and love, like I want to build him up every single day. He is told that he's loved so many times. He's told that he's brave, that he's smart. Like, and it's almost now where I'm like, maybe I'm hurting him by building him up this much. Well, no, because as long as you're also telling yourself those things, especially in front of them or just showing it in front of him, like that's, he's going to get it then. That's what yeah. he needs. He needs to see how it can be modeled. And then it comes back into the world. You know, like I said earlier, I'm a very confident person. I get a lot of that from my mother. And it's something that I definitely want to pass on to my daughter. And it can be a double-edged sword. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I think it's something that's so beautiful because then I choose like, okay, that bullshit that's been sitting on my shoulders, I can wipe it off and put on my face and say, okay, let's fucking go. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's half of it. I love that. I I need that. Well, I think it's so true. Like, I think, you know, I've got older children. So my youngest just turned 10 and then I'm a stepmom all the way up to 18. And I, you know, through cancer journey, it was really challenging to just survive really and be the kind of mom that I wanted to be. It's a big grief of mine is like that. I feel like I lost the full parenting experience of who I would be without this major trauma kind of circulating all the time. But I'm watching my children and what they've absorbed from this path. And, you know, like when I chose to move and get married again with David, a lot of people were very opinionated about that. And I lost a lot of very, very close friends. You know, I think even now they would say it was not because of me being happy, but in some way, making a choice that was very difficult. And I uprooted my children. I remember one of my clients said, You're not moving your children again. And I was like, yeah, I am. Because my current husband, his job had like, he sold his practice. And then we ended up moving to San Antonio and it was the right decision for our family. And honestly, when I look at my kids, you know, I just want to say this to the listeners, especially because it's really hard to be a mom and make choices for yourself. But what I'm watching is, so my, my oldest has been battling with depression since his dad died. And I, I'm always trying to figure out like, is it systemic depression or was it acute from the, from the trauma of the way that his father died, which was extremely, like he had a major bleed out that my son witnessed. And there was a lot of things that, that he saw that were really scary at his, as a, you know, five, six, seven and eight year old son. But the truth is like, since I made these choices to love myself enough to choose me and then love another person who really meets me where I need to be met. And I have this, we have a really beautiful connection and, and our marriage is really strong despite 
everyone's like, can't really handle us most of the time. Watching that impact on my children, they are healing in rapid pace. I mean, before David and I got together, we were in therapy. We were in therapy every day. So it was really, it was really powerful to watch how rapidly my happiness trickled into their life. So I'm proud of you for making that choice. It's hard and fuck the world if they don't support you for your happiness. That is the most important thing you can offer your daughter and watch it unfold into her beautiful world where she'll roll through the world being like, it was a hard thing my mom did, but my mom did a hard thing to choose her own self-worth and happiness. And that's who I want to be when I grow up as a person that chooses myself. And I hope that that's the, I mean, I've done a lot of not great parenting things within that choice of like trying to care give and be a mom. It's so hard. And you'll see as a single mom, you know, as a single mom for a long time, like you can ask Jamie, I was struggling like the breadwinning piece and all the the hard things you have to do to provide, which they don't get that when they're little, you know, takes you away from them more than you want to be. But I do know that my children will know that, that I love them and that I love myself enough to choose happiness. And I hope that they do that in their life. And I think that's cool that you're doing that for your daughter. Absolutely. Everything that you just said. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we have a lot in common, right? Single mom. So widows become single moms. Widows get judged. Divorced people get judged. My divorced friends, like, I feel like we're telling the same story with a different ending because, okay, this is a weird thing that I I constantly think as a widow and and to my widow people and divorced people out there, maybe you can say like, yes, I feel that too. Even though my husband is dead, I will never be divorced from my husband. And even though my divorced friends leave their spouse, right? Especially when you have children, but even my friend who doesn't have children, there is no such thing as ever getting away from that marriage. It is always in you with you. especially when you've created a person together and a life, like you can have a new life, but you, there's no like bye forever. They're always in you and a part of you. Yeah, that was the chapter that made you who you are now. Right. And when you have children, like you're going to forever be navigating parenting together and that's challenging and also kind of beautiful. Yeah. Like it's not over because you choose to love somebody else. It's it's over in the marriage, but it's not over in your connection of what you created together. That stays forever. Absolutely. So, and like I said, I my ex-husband is a good man and a great father. And, you know, once he gets past his grieving stage through all of this in his own time, I have faith that we're going to fucking kick ass co-parenting. And, you know, we don't have a choice. We have to. Little girl has big things that she's going to be doing in life. So got to lift that up. That's amazing. So do you feel, I think we already asked you this, but I don't know if we got the full answer before we start talking about something else. (laughs) Your your life purpose. Do you feel Uh, more in tune with it? Yeah, 100%. I used to say that I didn't finish college. I did three and a half years. I took a semester off. And I got a job as a flight attendant. And so I didn't finish my schooling. Not that I think that it's necessarily a huge important thing, but learning my life purpose and knowing that I want to help heal people, you know, not in the medical way, not in being a doctor or a surgeon, but I want to help offer people tools in their life to get them to a place through the bullshit and not on the other side to love themselves. And so school is definitely in my future again, you know? potentially going down the psychiatrist route, maybe, or diving more into the holistic field within yoga, within wellness, within whatever comes up in life that I feel called to. And I know that things are going to be coming up for sure. It's exciting. Well, so, you know, you talked a little bit in your bio that you sent over about sort of like getting back up when life gives you the inevitable left hook. And sharing that wisdom with your daughter. Do you want to talk a little bit more about like what that looks like for you? Oh, yeah. So growing up, my my background was, you know, like many people, separate parents. But my mom was an alcoholic. My grandfather's an alcoholic. My dad wasn't present. He's a Puerto Rican. So he lived over in Puerto Rico with his new family. And so... Again, I didn't have the tools growing up to learn how to heal and get through all that in a healthy way. And so I managed major anxieties that turned into really heavy things and started seeing psychiatrists, therapists at a very young age that wrongfully diagnosed me with different labels that were big labels. 
and that were scary labels and that put me in a box of well, fuck, I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z throughout my life because I have to live with this and like this. And learning later in life that in fact, that was just anxiety amplified out the ass, out into the universe. And girl, all you need to do is get back outside, connect to yourself, feel the shit, and then let the earth heal you. Put only good into your body. Put only kindness into your mind. Move get off your fucking ass and shake it out, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's these simple little things that, you know, sound like, okay, yeah, I can do it, but then do it. Like most people just don't do it. And it gets Mm -hmm. more and more from there, but I just don't ever want her to be in a space that she doesn't feel like she can connect to her nature and to nurture that side of her because I didn't know it for so long. Right. And uh, this year, especially I've dove into a lot of shadow work, a lot of unblocking, Mm -hmm. trying to find expanders in my life that are modeling where I want to be and where I know my potential could be. Hence getting together with you ladies for this podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a connection that I feel is so necessary. Getting words out there into the public that can definitely connect. I know there are so many women that feel me when I say, if you're not communicating with me, if you're not meeting me, if you're not choosing me, and if you're not choosing yourself to heal, then what the hell are we doing here? Because I ain't got a lot of time on this earth. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen to that. Like, if we're not, I'm just want to say like friendships should be feed you. They should feed you and fill you up. We should as women collectively support each other. And we should say like, I see you over there. I see you struggling. I see you going through this thing and I'm, and I'm going to let you be in that thing, but I'm here to, to be a listening ear and support you. Not this judgmental undertone that happens a lot in female dynamics that you can say like the craziest shit about the feelings inside and who you are. And they'll be like, yeah, that's okay. Like, I don't really, you know, like it might be something crazy. Like you want to do crazy things and get naked and streak down the beach at night and you do that every night and you're like what the fuck (laughs) one of the guests at my bachelorette party was like she's hispanic and amazing and sexy as hell and like she's just in it like she's in her body she's totally like fully in her body and unapologetically hot like everywhere all the time and i'm like white girl like i'm not good enough i'm not sexy enough so i'm like working out of that in my new marriage i'm like you know what i'm gonna change some things here and so she said something it was like she and her husband would film themselves having sex. Okay, it's her husband, right? So they're in this like safe, sacred space. And and all the other white women were like petrified by this comment, like petrified. And I was like sitting there like, I just shouldn't leave her alone. Like I should not leave her alone in this because when I got into my new marriage, I was always scared to ask for what I needed in bed. Like I literally went through most of my life not having real orgasms or real intimacy because I held back for fear of not being enough. And that if I asked for what I needed and it wasn't even crazy, just like what I needed, just really pretty basically that that would be shameful that it should just all happen for me. Should all just happen. I should just have this perfect orgasm. It should be hot. And you know, and it didn't happen that way at all. Like it never happened that way. And so I was like, you know what? I've really been working on being more sexy and I totally feel myself having sex. I don't want you to be alone. Every other woman was like, what the hell is happening? And I was like, you know what ladies, fuck it. We're 40 years old. Like I'm watching people in their fifties who are like going into menopause and struggling with certain things. And I know I'm heading in that direction and I'm in a new marriage and I don't want to be, I don't want to be held back for anybody. I don't care what people say about me. And it was amazing. Right. So that was the moment where I was like, who's your community that you can literally rip open and be like, this is what happens behind closed doors. And I feel really great about it. And not, I'm not judged. That's who we need not to surround judged. ourselves by. And now the world knows that I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit freaky. Really. <laughs> really. Everyone in their own way is a little bit freaky. If you allow yourself to be, because it's so much put- more fun when you're a little bit freaky. It is. And we are put on this planet to, I think, procreate and like that. So I'm reading this amazing book right now, Central Faith about your getting home in your body. And she's like, we're not here just to make the baby. Sex is a huge part of who we are and it should be pleasurable and amazing. We're way off topic, but I think this is the inner secrets that we hold and cover up and put on our Chanel dress and like pin up and go to church and sign and we could hide it. And I'm like, you know, when my husband died, I was like, fuck, fuck that. Fuck everybody who's going to stand in my way of happiness and peace. And I'm 
super excited for people like you who are like, fuck it. I'm not going to stay married for everyone else. I'm going to unzip. I'm going to be who I am. And I'm unapologetically chasing bliss, whatever that looks like. And healing is painful, but bliss is along that journey when you go through all that stuff that you're talking about with shadow work. Oh, yeah. And sex is a huge part of partnership too. And that connection, that intimate. And that was a huge issue within our marriage too. God, I got turned down nine times out of 10. New lingerie, naked yoga, every scenario. And it was all things in him, you know, that he had to deal with. But fuck, I know the goddess within me. And I'm like, if I'm not going to get railed on a regular basis either. Well, talk about unveiling, right? In your in your in your personal life at home and your partnerships, you know, when you're getting intimate, like that is if that's not a microcosm of what we're practicing, because that is okay. This is kind of a weird thing, but it just came to me. But it is sort of our childhood play at this point. Like that is the yeah. space to have full front and let go and like unabashedly let yourself be in full bliss and pleasure. But it was really interesting that you said a shadow work. Mm-hmm. That's something that I'm would love to hear a little bit more about because that's very new to me. Shadow work's getting into your shit. <laughs> yeah. Best of way to deep, put it. Deep you shit. can't get away from it. It's all of those triggers that live in your subconscious that you don't realize even when you're doing it, reacting the way you are, thinking the way you are, moving the way you are. And it's, you know, it's traumas that have stuck with you throughout your life. And all of a sudden you discover it and you're like, oh, that's exactly why I did that in that way in that moment because when I was three years old this shit hit me okay mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's about not running from it so healing in itself is a huge roller coaster of emotions y'all know what's up and it never stops but it's it's heavy and that's why I think a lot of people run from the work too and shadow mm-hmm. work is heavy you get dark and you have to have the confidence in knowing that this is the work and on the other side, there is light, but to get there, you got to recognize your shit and you got to face it. Have you found with the shadow work? So I've done so much shadow work. So Jamie, shadow work is like a basically inner child healing. Okay. So there's different words for it, but shadow work is just essentially looking at sort of like the samskaras. That's a Sanskrit word for like this deep wounds within or your deep, you know, triggers and, and, Honestly, one of the things that's been good about the shadow work, it's super hard to look at, but it seems like for me, there's a ribbon of about two themes through every one of my, my inner child problems is that I, I don't feel good enough or, or enough in all capacity. And I always feel like I'm going to be left alone. And interestingly enough, whenever I get to a trigger in my life, so I use this chart that my therapist gave me and I run through this chart and Jamie knows I'm obsessed with this chart but I now do it in my head. So I'll be like, why am I frustrated? Right. That's the first question you ask yourself. And then you ask yourself, well, what's the emotion that follows? So like, if I'm mad at something, like I remember the first time that my therapist walked me through this was with my first husband. And I was like, we need a therapist. So when we went in, she was like, tell me something benign that you guys fight about on the reg. And I said, this is kind of funny, garbage can liners. And she was like, what? And I was like, garbage can liners. So at the time I was working in the medical field and trying to transition into becoming a full Pilates instructor. And every morning I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and would make a pot of coffee for both of us and then race out the door. And his one like major job of the house was always to take the garbage out. Like that was just his job. But he would take the garbage out every night and never refill the garbage can liner. Like maybe once a week he'd do it. But most of the days he wouldn't. And every morning... I would be like, and I was working so hard. I was working so hard to like transition my career to make enough money to like make this job shift. So I would be pissed every morning I'm making the coffee, right? I'd go blindly and dump this ground grounds from yesterday into this empty garbage can. And I'd be like, this fucker doesn't know how hard I'm working. Now I've got to clean this out. You know, you know how it goes in marriage, right? And so she walked us through. So she was like, well, how does it feel? What's the story that played in my head in this moment? He doesn't see me. He knows literally doesn't give a shit about how hard I'm working and does nothing to support me in my journey. I mean, that's kind of, that's how it feels. Right. But that's, it's it's just a fucking garbage man bag, but moving on down. Right. So what's the story. And then what's your reactionary behavior? I'm furious. And I shut down every time I'm like, bye, get away from me. I hate you. You don't care about me. Right. 
So then we get down this little chart, right? And then it's like, well, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that someone I'm partnered with never knows me, how hard I'm working, how much I care. They never can see me for who I am. They just are selfish and alone. And I feel alone all the time. I always felt alone in my first marriage. Childhood story comes after that, which is the part you start crying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the truth was in my childhood, my mom suffered from chronic depression and I was always alone. I had to caretake her all the time. Or if I had to do anything that was burdensome to my parents, like a ride, they'd be like, Oh, you need a ride? Like, what? Like, why are you even born? Why are you even here? And why did you always have to ask me for stuff? And then my father was narcissistic. So that's like a whole different version of alone, right? And truly, I was alone through most of my life. And so whenever I get in those spaces, a garbage can liner will literally make me be like, our marriage is shit and we need to get divorced. But when I hit that moment where I realized that every trigger in my marriage came from that wound deep within that I was going to be left alone and that I was never good enough and didn't matter how hard I was working, no one could see my work. That I, that was the work I had to heal. So I had to love myself and say, I am enough. Even though my parents went through their triggers and shit and couldn't see me in that space because they were way overwhelmed with their own problems. I And so I wanted to ask you this and I, I wanted to share that tool set because I think that's a glimmer into shadow work where everything you do gets hit, this wound gets hit and it's this unabashed anger or frustration and you can't shake it. I wanted to know like if you're okay to talk about, cause I think that vulnerable piece that I'm never enough is scary to say out loud. It's been really scary for me to say that out loud because I also have extreme confidence like you. And it's, I feel like we kind of have a similar vibe a little bit, but inside I never feel good enough. But outside I was sure enough, like I got everything, I got this. But inside I was like, I'm drowning and dying alone and I'm not asking anyone for help. So I wondered like, have you come in your shadow work to like, what is that one ribbon for you that is keeps popping up for you? Oh, absolutely. And you and I are very similar in that aspect of the confidence of having to parent ourselves, having to, you know, be okay with being alone and learning how to live with that. I, mine was very, my parents were split, right? My dad wasn't around and my mom and my dad didn't have a good dynamic. She really kept him from me. And then he didn't know how to get in there and even try to be the father that I needed. So it was then, okay, well, he's not in my life. And now my mom is hurting and dealing with things her way. But she, again, was bipolar and was an alcoholic and a single mom. And so at a very young age, like I remember being five years old and waking myself up, taking out my outfit for school going and making myself breakfast, turning on the coffee pot for my mom and making sure that I was really quiet. So I didn't wake her up because if I woke her up, she was going to be really mad because she could have slept in for like another 10, 15 minutes. And so then I would make sure that I would go turn on the car, especially if it was the winter, make sure that I warmed it up for us. And then I very quietly went into her room and made sure that I was really gentle with how I woke her up. Because if I was really loud and excited and like, mom, she would get really mad because it was like, oh, way too abrupt for her. And to this day, I need to be woken up very quietly, very softly, very calmly. And if it's not, then I'm mad, I'm angry. And I have to come back to that moment of, yep, that's where that comes from. That's what I was modeled. Wow. Okay. So can we talk a little deeper about the eggshells is what I like to call them. So like walking on eggshells in your own childhood environment, I think actually I would like to say all three of us share that. I'll let Jamie tell her own story at her own time, but I know that my house was definitely like, I was kind of like, and I wonder because we're all three empathically like, so I do Pilates and I'm body work is like my bread and butter and I'm excellent at it. And I like to think that I'm excellent at it, not because I'm like this skilled practitioner per se, it's my intuitive nature. And I think that came from my childhood home of like, I always had to know like what everyone around me was doing so that I feel those energies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is that like, is that something you resonate with in terms of being a yoga practitioner? Cause you are, I've taken your a private with you or like a semi-private with our, you know, when last time you were at the beach with, with us. Our crew. Yeah. You were super intuitive. I could just feel you feeling our energy. We were, you know, kind of tired that day and working hard on like the visioning and stuff. So tell me a little bit about, about how this is what I think is, I like to call it, they, they call it a glimmer. And I like to bring this up, which is like, what is the positive things that come out of some of these really freaking hard things we've been through? Intuitive nature is one of them. Like you said, being able to kind of read people's energies and sit with it and be okay with not connecting in it too. Like, okay, this is going to be really uncomfortable. 
but I have the tools. I can breathe right now. I can be a little bit quieter or I can bring up more conversation because that's what these people need right now to get out of their own headspace. And that definitely comes from hard family dynamics and learning when to just shut my mouth. Totally. And that's always the hardest one, right? Because we want to react. We want to be, we want to be heard, seen, felt by everyone that we're around, but that's not always realistic. Well, we need people to be okay, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. This is a much less deep question, but saying that is one of the reasons why, at least I know you're, you're in real estate and I've been in marketing and sales for a while. And one of the things that I learned, I remember my dad's also in sales and he always said from the beginning when I first started was you always talk about them. You never talk about yourself. It's always about them. And so I always, it's always stuck with me. And I think when you're talking about your be able to feel the energies with sales, it's also you groom that in you because you're feeling like, what's this person thinking? What, and then you have to kind of like morph yourself to meet their energy and what they need. So it's, it's interesting. And then I also have a background in medical field. That's actually what I went to school for and where I had to literally take care of what somebody's needs were. So it's just very interesting to see like the different sides of meeting people's needs. But like continuously, I find that I'm always in a position where it's about meeting their emotional needs, if that makes any sense. A thousand um, percent. Well, so you're naturally probably good at that, right? Like that's yeah. a natural skill that you have when you grow up in a home where your parents were not able to parent you in the way that you needed. And that can be varied from home to home, of course. Totally. But I was thinking too, when you were talking about that, Jane, like, so I would say that Jamie and all of us, right? Like there's never going to be a podcast where we're all on the same healing path where like, we're like, oh yeah, that I'm, I've done that. Or you've done that. And like, I always think Jamie is, is an awesome guest and like co-partner for me because she reminds me of where I was. I got like thrown into it through cancer. But Jamie, in terms of taking care of others first before yourself, now that you know what you know and you're learning some of these things, where are you with that? So that's the only difference I would say about you and I's path in self-care and or self-healing is I think I've always, because I've never had a really huge trauma. I mean, I would say Sloan was a very traumatic event for me. Luckily it was a short stint, but I've always been very aware, always been a watcher. I was, I'm eight years younger than my brother. So I was always around adults growing up. And so I've always been just very aware kid. And I always could tell like, even, you know, alcohol was always big in my family and I could always tell like, oh, that's going to be the drink that's going to change this night. You know, I could always, I always knew where things were going. And I was always, I don't know, I guess just growing up like that, you become a little bit more aware of all your emotions. But the, where I see my biggest need to grow and something I instill a lot with Sloan is, and Alex, we've talked about this a lot, is the being heard aspect. Kids' opinions never really mattered when, when I was growing up. It was the adults, the adults the adults, children, if you're upset, you go to your room. So that's something, Alex, since I've met you, I know that you've helped me identify that. And so that's something that I'm constantly working on making my feelings known. But at the same time, I also am boundarying off a lot. So you can ask my husband and he's like, she tells me all of her feelings. I don't need to know any more feelings. (laughs) But when it comes outside of our house, I probably don't really speak up a lot. And I think that's why a lot of people don't even know a lot of my story. I think your story is really powerful to me because I think that when you're crash course into a trauma and you did have a trauma with, you know, Sloan's birth and all that, and, and it did wake you up. You were, she's a very different person today than she was prior to that. And I've watched that evolution. And I think she's watched mine, right? Because we work so closely together, but I think it's important that the world knows that you don't have to have like some of the more powerful guests at our retreat were, what this one guest that I always think of, she was like, I don't, there's nothing wrong. (laughs) I had a great childhood. And then it was funny, like as the days went on, she like, like an onion was like peeled back. She's like, well, actually my husband had an affair on me and it's really hard. And then I actually, you know, you know, like it was like, but I think some of us are inbreded with certain households to, to hide and to, and to go to your room, like, right. And keep it inside. And, and I wanted to talk to Ashley because I think as a yoga practitioner, like, I think your job as a yoga teacher is to crack open these parts of ourselves that we're hiding and, and movement is in, so important to Jamie and I, like that's my, that was my first step into paying attention to my body was Pilates. And like, 
I couldn't even do yoga then because my head was, I was so anxious and like, oh, I was holding it all together and trying to be confident and perfect. And I felt so alone and so scared and so not enough. And I, you know, I still battle those same feelings inside, but now I know I really have to push myself and say, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and can you help me? Like, it's okay. And I, my worthiness isn't in being perfect. Right. And I was never perfect in the first place. I was just hiding. So I think it's cool that we talk about this so that people out there know that the first step in getting mindful and healing is really actually doing one thing that opens you up and lets you be. And, and then we talked about this last week, Jamie, like, and maybe you feel this way too, Ashley, like surround yourself with people that you can totally be your full self. I wanted to backtrack to what you were saying as yoga instructors, getting the, to start that crack um, mm -hmm. of someone and, you know, in my last week of training, I remember the instructor saying, as a yoga instructor, your job is simply to bring people to contemplate, mm -hmm. just get them to start to contemplate on something. It doesn't need, you don't need to tell them what or how to think, but you just get that idea. So I wanted to see like, cause I've taken your classes and your dharmas and what you speak about and you bring it you stream it through the whole class and it's it always had me thinking for like hours after but I wanted to see like your side of it as the yoga instructor and being that guide for people how does that resonate with you it's just having an intention a mindful aware intention and choosing to be present in that intention for as long as you can and like I say in my classes all the time, your monkey mind is inevitably going to wander. You're inevitably going to go all over the planet. And then you're going to be like, oh yeah, what was that thing that I was thinking about that I wanted to follow along with? And you come back to it. And at first it's only maybe a second, a split second that you stay in it. And you just keep building from there. But I truly believe as long as you have an intention in life, whatever it is, you're going on your right path back toward your most authentic self. And that's how we're supposed to live. You know, through this divorce, I've been hit with a lot of the word selfish. And uh, even last night, having a conversation with my ex around, this is all about you. Everything is about you. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. And <laughs> it's funny because I'm not trying to live in that, but also this life is for me because I have to live in it. This life is for you. You have to live in it. And I will live with everyone else and with the community and help to project as good as I can. But it always, at the end of the day, comes back to me. It always, at the end of the day, comes back to you. So if you're practicing with those good intentions, then only good will keep going out. And that's pretty selfless to me. I love that's that. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And I think that's probably the most powerful thing said today, you know? Yeah. Because an intention isn't quite that difficult. It doesn't cost any money. It's, it's something that you can work on yourself. It doesn't require a therapist per se. I do recommend therapy to most people, almost everyone, but it's really awesome. So do you, have you changed intention since your divorce? Are you, are you working on a current intention that you would want to share? I mean, it changes every day, but my overall intention right now is to not focus on the five-year plan. It's to not, you know, have that worry cloud over me all the time of, is my business going to do well enough? Am I going to give this class everything that they really need today? Am I going to fuck up my daughter? Am I, you know, it's all those little things. And it's just at the end of the day, coming back to, I just want to be present right now. And coming back to that question around wonder, I am intentionally putting myself into spaces every single day at some point to sit in a moment of wonder. And it can be as simple as going for a walk and putting my feet in the grass and there'd be dew all over the grass and my feet are dirty and grassy. And I'm like, oh, that feels so cool on the soles of my feet. I was like, that's it. That's the wonder. That's just the simplicity of it. Coming back to the simplicity of life, you know, you can go and stare at a sunset or a sunrise. And yes, those are beautiful moments of wonder, but you don't have to wait till that time of the day. You can go outside and look at even a dead leaf and study it and be like, this fucking thing. And we don't do that often. So when I make myself sit in that, and I really don't have to make myself anymore. I crave it. I want it. Like my life is I'm healing in such bigger ways because of it. 
And it's even, you know, looking at my daughter and how she studies everything, mm-hmm. looking at my new dog, my dog and how they're interacting, you know, it's everything can be wonder if you have the intention of it to be. I love well, that. I just so think much. that is such a powerful ending and it doesn't cost any money to find wonder. But for me, like this lately, I've been like taking my dog out in the morning and I, I know a lot of us have animals. So like I take my dog out in the morning and instead of being like, oh, hurry up, Lucy, God, I literally just like, I listen to the birds and I feel the grass on my feet. I do the same thing. And I'm like, I crave it every morning. Let's do it. Just a quick little, little talk about real estate because you are like, you find homes, which there's like nothing more important than finding homes. Home. So is oh there, my gosh, know, yes. what is, what does home mean to you as a real estate agent? Home is a place to be safe and to heal. You need to be able to come home and let it be your sanctuary, your place of healing, your place of love, your place of holding space for yourself and being able to let go and be totally safe. That's home. And so down here on the Gulf Coast, you know, we live at the beach. We have an amazing, right? There's like a gnat flying around here. We have an amazing (laughs) safe community and houses around here. I mean, people have made their space very beautiful it's not hard to sell homes down here. I mean, you show people, Jamie, you know, I'm sure when you walked into your house, you said, yep, I love this. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's when I connect that to my life's purpose and sharing healing tools, that's it. Like find your sanctuary. Let's go for it. If it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. If it feels amazing, yes. You know, it's, it's all about what people need in life to be able to hold space for themselves and love themselves. And their home is a huge part of that. My home is my sanctuary. I'm obsessed with it. And I want everyone else that wants a home to feel that way too. So it's easy to have this career alongside of my tools. Yeah, I think Alex and I can really relate to the home thing because I've moved four times in 13 months Mm -hmm. from New Orleans to an apartment and storage to then my parents' home to then our home. And it was a lot. And so I've never appreciated a home quite like I do now. It's a whole new level of appreciation. And Alex, I mean, she moved from New Orleans to Alexandria to San Antonio, and then she just moved out of her rental that was in New Orleans still. So homes, I think are, they're underrated. People don't understand. Yeah. And if you're, you know, it's it's so important. I think, you know, this discussion about I mean, obviously everyone should look for you if they're in the golf course seeking for a home or seeking to find a home within. And I think it's a beautiful ending to this talk because we're talking about coming to be at home within yourself of who you truly are, the true essence of yourself. And that's the inner work that we have to do that you can find in yoga if you find a great yoga practitioner in your area. But also, you know, for someone who like you is a guide in all ways of going home, like internal and external you know, creating a sanctuary for yourself, a space where you can unzip, be yourself. We're really about that. We're really about, you know, giving people tools to get inside and and, and create the world outside of you that supports the inside of you. And so I'm just so grateful for your time today. And I hope that everyone comes to buy their homes with you and takes yoga with you. And you guys look for Ashley. She's going to be, you know, involved in wake wellness as a whole. And so join us again as we unzip. I'm sorry for all the hard questions. And hopefully my mother-in-law wasn't listening to this podcast. I think I'll be saying that every week. But unapologetically letting it all out there. So thank you very much. Thank you, Lacey, so you so much. much. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jamie. Wake the fuck up, right? Wake yes. the fuck up and find a home inside and outside of yourself. Amazing. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And I hope everyone listening got some tools today, DM us, let us know how you liked it. Let us know what we can do to provide. Oh, I can put out our, you know, inner child tools if you need it. And a couple book recommendations, if you're getting started on shadow work or internal healing work, or if you come from a substance abuse home, there's a lot of really cool codependent. No more is like the Bible in my world. If you need some boundaries. So we'll send we'll send out some links and get everybody started on their healing journey. Yes. So. And we will also put contact information for Ashley. If you're looking for a home in the Gulf coast region, and um, you can also take her yin class at glow yoga over here okay. in Gulf Shores.
Thank you. Oh, I recommend her as a private. She did it beachside. It was fantastic. So, I mean, if you really want to dive in deep in intention, I think people don't really know that yoga being done privately can get, it's like movement therapy with lots of intention. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So hit Ashley up for a private because that is game changing for those of you who struggle a little bit in the group class setting, which is a little bit scary sometimes. So thank you, Ashley. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Wake the F up out there and we will be back soon with a new guest unzipping themselves and waking up. So thank you guys. This has been the Wake the F Up podcast with Alex and Jamie, a podcast about normalizing and overcoming challenges like grief and fear. Be sure to check out our other episodes where our community of experts share tools and ideas to help you wake to the life inside of you. If you enjoyed this episode of Wake the F Up, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And join the Wake community by downloading our app. Just search for Wake Wellness in the Apple or Android App Store. And follow us on Instagram, at The Wake Wellness. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.